and sisters and welcome back to the religion and horror series um today is the beginning of an even deeper dive into a very specific part of religious horror and that is exorcism and in this episode we're talking about the last exorcism from 2010 and i'm joined by first time guest my husband david welcome to the show david hello hi everyone so david is um not really a horror fan um he indulges me from time to time. Uh, I usually kind of know what he's going to like. And so occasionally we watch horror films together. Um, but before we get into talking about today's film, give the people a little bit of your religious background. Um. Well, let's see. Where do we go? Didn't really grow up in church all that much. Uh, kind of. Um, had, you know, like loose affiliations with different things. Like my parents didn't take us to church. Got into really going to church um like in middle school and did like youth group stuff and then kind of took a break during college as you do um yeah and it wasn't anything like it wasn't like it wasn't like a i got to to school and they brainwashed me and made me walk away from my religion or anything like that and then later on about 24 25 got kind of really serious about it, like really had a, a religious experience, I would say, that led to um, led me down the path that I'm on now, where I'm actively involved in ministry. Um, so I always kind of say, uh, in general, like reading the Bible and things like that, I, I'm reading it as an adult, not as a kid, which I think is different than a lot of people. Um, so my general experience is not completely based off of um, an early indoctrination of Bible stories. It's an actual reading of the the scripture and understanding it as an, an adult and comprehending it as an adult. So that's a fascinating piece of all of that. Um, what else? Um, well, yeah, when I met you, like, it was kind of a question mark. I was like, oh, I'm not really sure if like David's into a church or not. I remember, um, I guess the first weekend you came to visit me, I was like, so I go to church on Sundays if you want to come with me <laughs> and you did come with me. So that was, that was, that's been sort of like uh, a journey of both of us together, which of course I've always been in church. I never really left. Um, but it's really funny because even though I'm the one that grew up in church, you're the one who is now an ordained missionary. And I'm like, that's not my things. <laughs> yeah. Well, and even with all of that, like, it, like even when I didn't go to church or anything like that, um, I was involved in like 
church group stuff, even in college, um, I wouldn't say I was really like religious or anything like that. I, I didn't fall that way. But like, um, it, it wasn't that I wasn't spiritual. Like I definitely was connected to it. And actually, um, musically, um, there was some, some music that I listened to that really, I really helped me understand generally where I feel, how I feel spiritually overall, really kind of spoke to me overall. And so, yeah, it wasn't like I was away from, like, I definitely had, had issues with church things and I still have those same issues. <laughs> generally. And so it wasn't, it wasn't like a, an anger or anything like that towards God or anything. It was just kind of a, Hey, this system seems kind of messed up in a lot of ways. Yeah, <laughs> It's still very present. Yes. Which is, which is resonant with a lot of people. And it's relevant to um, today's topic, which is I think part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you about this movie. Um, we chose this film because like I said, we don't watch horror together a lot, but when we find one we both like, it's always pretty special and pretty fun. And so The Last Exorcism, we just kind of stumbled across it because I don't know if you remember this or not. Do you remember when we went to see it? Why we went to see it? Because you thought Scott Derrickson directed it? Oh, no. That was a different movie. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember. No. So um, it was when we were like first living in Florida they, I, I can't remember why I got this, but I got advanced screening oh, tickets, that's right. like yeah. free tickets to it. And we had to go way over to Winter Park. We had to drive way over to like Winter Park, which is folks, the other side of Orlando. It was like an hour and a half for us to get there. The people that know, they know what that's yeah. like. Yeah. So fun. it was a trek um, to go see this movie we really didn't know anything about. And then um, got there and we're very pleasantly surprised by what we saw and both enjoyed it. And so we've seen it together, I don't know, half a dozen times maybe since then. Um, and over the years, it's just continued to, to stick with us and I think have uh, even more relevance in our own personal like faith journeys. Yeah, I love the movie overall, and I, it's, I mean, definitely got horror aspects to it, but I don't even really consider it to be a, a super, like, hardcore horror movie at all, which is probably part of the reason why I like it. Yeah, probably so. Folks, spoilers ahead. Um, if you have not seen the movie, please go check it out, and then come back and listen to our discussion. Exorcism is alive and well. The Bible is filled with demons. If you believe in God, you have to believe in the devil. We're looking for the sweets are fine. You want to make a U-turn, and then I want you to go back where you came from. Please, go, go! Seems like the end of the road. Mr. Sweetser? How you doing? Cotton Marcus. My wife died two years ago. It's quite a shock for now. Were you very close? She was my best friend. Somehow, the devil kind of entered. Now, can you hear me? Yeah. Good. Nothing to be nervous about. What is it? It's coming through my skin. Please help. Get it out of me. Let him come now.
If you can't save my daughter's soul, I will. Filmmakers Iris and Daniel document Cotton Marcus, a reverend living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, who seeks to delegitimize exorcisms. Marcus, who lost his faith after the birth of his disabled son, is accustomed to performing fake exorcisms on individuals who believe they are possessed. He accepts an exorcism request sent by Louis Sweetser, a farmer who suspects his daughter Nell is possessed by Satan. Marcus claims Nell is possessed by Abilam, a powerful demon who defiles the innocent. Conducting the phony exorcism, he convinces her family that he has driven out the demon and leaves, believing he has cured her of a mental state that was misdiagnosed as possession. That night, Nell inexplicably appears in Marcus's motel room, visibly unwell. He takes Nell to the hospital, where they conclude that she is in perfect physical condition. He visits Lewis's former pastor, Joseph Manley, who informs him that he has not seen Nell for three years. Lewis takes Nell home, then chains her to the bed after she cuts her brother's face with a knife. Marcus and the film crew free Nell. The hospital calls back to inform them that Nell is pregnant. That night, Nell brutally smashes a cat to death in the barn. Iris and Daniel discover her morbid paintings, which depict Marcus before a large flame with a crucifix, Iris dismembered, and Daniel decapitated. Lewis insists that Nell is a virgin and has been impregnated by the demon. Offended at Marcus's insistence that a demon is not involved, he demands that the crew leave and alludes to intending to kill Nell. The crew tries to escape with Nell, who attacks Marcus. Marcus offers to attempt a second exorcism as Nell begs her father to kill her. During the exorcism, Nell manifests into Abilam and asks Marcus if he wants a blowing job. Marcus challenges this and says that a demon would know what the actual name of the sex act is and concludes that Nell is not possessed, but simply a disturbed girl. Nell anguishes over losing her virginity to a boy named Logan, which Lewis rejects. The crew meets Logan, who explains that he is gay and only had a brief conversation with Nell during a party at Manley's house six months prior, which means Manley was lying about not having seen Nell. They return to the Sweetser farmhouse, which they find empty and covered with occult symbols on its walls. In the woods, the group sees a fire and a congregation of hooded cultists led by Pastor Manley. Lewis is bound, gagged, and blindfolded while hooded figures pray around an altar atop which Nell is bound. She gives birth to an inhuman child. Manley then throws the child into the fire, which causes the fire to grow as demonic roars emanate. Marcus grabs his cross and rushes toward the fire to combat the evil. Iris and Daniel flee, but Iris is killed with an axe by the congregation members, while Daniel is decapitated by Nell's brother, Caleb. Reading that um, synopsis out loud... Like, it seems like a lot more happens than when you're just watching the movie. Yeah, it also uh, covers up for the chunkiness, the the choppiness of it a little bit. Um, it sounds like it flows really good. And there's definitely some some flow issues in that that are kind of, kind of makes for some kind of weird stuff. 
Yeah, we, we go back to that farmhouse several times. <laughs> yeah, there, there's several trips back to the farmhouse. And it's like a lot of this could have been handled in one one visit <laughs> overall. So um, before we dig further into the plot and some of the larger themes, um, I want to talk about the history of exorcism in the evangelical church just a little bit, because mostly exorcism is a Catholic thing. And especially in horror films, it's almost always Catholic. You just don't see Protestant evangelical exorcism in movies very much. And I think that's another thing that drew me to this movie is um, seeing the church that I am familiar with and some of the themes that I am familiar with, as opposed to Catholicism, which is like very, you know, foreign to me. So exorcism was, I guess, pretty popular in like the early church. And we'll talk about that more in the exorcist episode that's coming later. Um, But it was ne- it never really caught on with Protestants until the Pentecostal movement, which was, I think, like late 1800s, early 1900s. And the Pentecostal movement embraced all the stuff, um, you know, speaking in tongues, charismatic worship, taking the Bible very literally. And so with all of that comes demonic belief as well. They believed that people were still demon-possessed just as they were in the Bible. And so when someone would come to their church and exhibit these signs, they don't have, unlike the Catholics, they don't have like a book and a ritual, um, a very specific ritual. It's more of just prayer. And um, a lot of things I read said that um, in a lot of Pentecostal and charismatic churches, they just refer to it as like deliverance. You just need to pray for deliverance, which is something I've heard a lot. And I never really equated that like specifically with exorcism. Um, A lot of times in evangelical churches, you'll hear people talk about like generational curses and stuff like that as being like demonic and oppressive. Oppressive is like a word you hear a lot. Um, So everything I sort of read lined up with what I remember. And so I suppose, I mean, I've been out of the Pentecostal denomination for a long time. I've been out for a long time. Um, but I suppose they probably still do this in like Assembly of God and United Pentecostal and some of those really charismatic denominations. And so what we see with Reverend Marcus in this movie is really right in line with that and right in line with the things that I remember. So with that, we'll get into religion, the religious themes that are present in this film. Clearly, exorcism, it's in the title. That's what the main thing it's about. Um, but what are some of the other things that you wanted to talk about as far as religious themes in this film? Um, it seems like it's dominated by the the exorcism piece of it. That doesn't that shouldn't be surprising based on the title. <laughs> well, first and foremost, like there's several interactions with churches and they don't talk about what denomination they are like they kind of leave it ambiguous um i don't know if that was a choice or or what um or if they just didn't want to get in trouble with those denominations Mm -hmm. probably that um but it seems very pentecostal in nature even uh his uh reverend marcus's uh involvement he's brought in as a child um that's very seems very pentecostal (laughs) overall Mm -hmm. um he's got the gift of everything um, with, with all that. And so that's, that, it seems like very in line with that. I'm trying to think of the right way to say it because it seems like pointing out the general flow for the participants, not so much the belief of the, um, 
actors that the, the people, you know, the the reverend doesn't believe anymore and things like that. It seems more along those lines of uh, it, looking at along those lines of like getting into the, the meat of being in a ministry space and not necessarily fully believing what you believe overall. Mm-hmm. It's, that's the major theme is his general lack of, I don't even know if it's, I would say generally lack of faith. It's lack of believing in what he's doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it kind of the, I'm just going to keep doing it because it, it, it can serve a greater good overall. Um, it seems like he's come to terms with that. There's definitely an overlap with like uh, voodoo and and things like that. It, it, it's really interesting. Um, religiously, like you get to when they get to the uh, the rural church. I actually I wrote down um, and I'm, I'm remembering my notes. Like everybody knows, like every small town has a church like this. Like every, everybody thinks that there's a church that's a cult somewhere. Yeah. Um, it, it just kind of that that type of thing. It, it plays off of the small town view. It doesn't seem like it's um, a, a, like a larger city type of thing. It seems like in small, like like every small town has a story of like, oh yeah, that church is a cult. Um, and even in the movie, they're telling you from the get go, hey, like there's a cult down there. Like you're going down there. <laughs> yeah, that was um, whenever he meant there because they're in Louisiana. They're in, he lives in He's Baton Rouge, Baton Rouge but yeah. it does not take very long. You don't have to go very far outside Baton Rouge to get into like rural Louisiana. And so that's what's happening here. And he talks about all these different beliefs rubbing up against each other. And like voodoo is one of those. And so you have this kind of like little spiritual superstitious, like melting pot. So it's a very specific area of the country and it's, it's not anything big that's brought out in this movie, but I think that subtlety is important. And um, also, like you said, the people who are, when he's like, um, oh, yeah, like if you talk to 10 people, you get 10 demon stories. And Iris is like, do we have time for that? And he's like, sure. Um, so I loved like all the little like the people that are kind of seem like crazy locals, you know, and she she even uh, he's like, oh, and where is the UFO landing? And she's like, oh, that's over. Um, so it seems very like flippant. And so it is interesting later when we find out like, oh, these people have heard these rumors about this like culty church and it turns out that there's some truth to it. So that is very interesting. But um, I would say the biggest thing, like you were saying, besides clearly the exorcism is just the the crisis of faith, which is kind of a common theme in exorcism movies, um, even in The Exorcist, the one of the two main priests is struggling with his beliefs. Um, so that's, that seems to be like kind of like right ground for this kind of movie, but with Reverend Marcus, it's different. And I do want to talk more specifically just about him and about his character. Um, but before we move on to that, I do want to talk a little bit about what I think specifically is happening with him. And that is something that's very prevalent in church and religion now. And that's deconstruction. Um, so if you're just like a regular Joe and you're not like in a church space, you probably have no, I have never heard the term deconstruction, but it's basically the journey of figuring out the difference between what you were raised to believe and what you actually believe. And a lot of people our age, like 20s through 40s, I guess millennials, maybe down into Gen Z a little bit. A lot of people our age have gone through this over the past probably 10 years. Um, I think some people are just finding it as well. Um, but it's a huge movement in the church currently, and it's causing a lot of people to just leave like organized church, not, not leave faith or leave their belief in God, but specifically just like, 
I'm just not going to do it this way anymore. Um, I'm not going to just believe what I've been told since I was a kid, just because like, I'm going to read the Bible for myself. I'm going to really take some time to examine what I believe for myself. I'm not just going to take it at face value. Um, and so the fact that this movie came out in 2010, it was kind of, I would say ahead of its time in that regard, because I'm trying to think for, for us, you know, we, we didn't even like, we weren't really on that journey yet. Now I left the assembly of God denomination, the Pentecostal denomination when I was 18. And that was a big, big deal. Um, that was like the first sort of step away from just, you know, staying in line with what I had always been taught, but then everything was pretty much even keel until maybe like 2018, 2019 is when I think you and I really started to like re-examine what we were doing when it came to church and what we wanted to do. Um, and so this movie kind of came along right at that right time. And so hearing some of the things that Reverend Marcus says and how he feels like to me is just spot on with how I feel and what a lot of other Christians kind of in our same, you know, sphere are saying. Yeah. And with all of that, I think a big part of the overall movement, there's been, I, I, we've been around a lot of it and we were, you know, in early conversations for kind of a lot of movement overall, what it kind of feels like is people kind of, it it seems almost exclusively like nineties church, (laughs) like people that lived in the nineties church or their parents raised them in the nineties church. Um, and And a lot of it, especially early on, a lot of the the processing was around like purity culture and the damage that that had caused in different, like those beliefs that were kind of pushed like that um, and the impact of them in the general, uh, what could be abusive relationships that, that kids had uh, with their parents in relation to their, their overall beliefs and things like that. And what it felt like a lot of it was just therapeutic for people um, of just being able to be like, and you know what? I, I don't have to do I, like, I, even if it's just a, an internal personal cycle of like, I staying committed to something just because it's what's always been there type of thing. And so people started to kind of navigate that more. Um, and we have seen people walk away from it, which is well, a lot of people, there's people that would be like totally against that. I'm 100% on board with that uh, just because then they get to explore what it actually can be because I've seen quite a few people come back generally to faith with all of that. Um, it's really interesting now as it's kind of tailing off because uh, we were in a space that was really focused on deconstruction and that was allowing for deconstruction to happen. And then the, the, the problem with that, the, one of the communities that we were in was that they didn't really, they were like, we're not even going to worry about the reconstruction side of things. And so uh, there's been a re, you know, the movement of reconstruction of, of reevaluating what is and isn't the church and kind of like not just holding on to beliefs just because that's what you do, which is a great thing to, to break away from the status quo. And I think that's how the church has always moved was not being driven by that status quo, but in fact, challenging it. Um, I brushed up against, uh, you know, being a troublemaker, I guess would be the right way to say that. Um, and even now, like it's still kind of a thing where like the other side of it, the people that are like super evangelical um, are pushing back against deconstruction in an unhealthy way. Um, and it's like not helpful at all. And they don't really understand it. They think that they understand it, but they, they're not taking the time to listen to that. And that's, that's a really dangerous thing too. 
And so there's a lot of arguments that have started happening and a lot of talking down to people that have gone through deconstruction journeys overall. But um, it's it's such a frustrating thing of like, that's it's an okay. That's okay. <laughs> it's an okay thing to happen. Uh, but they take it personally is what it feels like. Yeah. And so it's like other people's individual faith being taken personally by people that aren't, aren't doing it is not going to be helpful at all. And that kind of leads around to one of the things I love about this, this movie is like, he's kind of like, yeah, I don't believe it anymore, but it can, can like what I'm doing can help people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's a really interesting relationship to that. Um, so I don't know if we want to <laughs> circle yeah, around we there can, yet. <laughs> yeah, we can, we can dig a little bit into specifically, um, Reverend Marcus, but before, before we move on, I do want to say that like, um, yeah, the term deconstruction has become kind of like a bad word in the evangelical world because people have basically, when they hear the word deconstruction, they think that automatically means I don't believe anymore. And that's, that's just not those of us who've been going through it for, you know, five years to a decade, like we just know that it means a lot, a lot more than that. And so, I mean, really, I think it starts with asking questions, like with the, the freedom to doubt and to ask questions, because when you grow up in a, you know, rigid religious system, like you're not even allowed to like have doubt or ask questions. And I just don't think that's realistic as a human. Um, And so Reverend Marcus, he starts on his journey when his son is born they thought he might die and then his son didn't die. And he said his first reaction was, thank you, doctor, not thank you, God. And he realized that his, you know, foundation wasn't necessarily on God. And so then he started asking himself, like, why was that my reaction? Why do I feel this way? Um, And then he, you know, he realized, well, when I was a kid, I just, they put me up there to preach and I was good at it and I'm entertaining and people respond. And so I do this because I'm talented at it, not because, I necessarily believe, but like you said, I don't get the impression that he has completely lo- lost his faith. He just, like you said, doesn't believe in what he's doing. Um, Which is what I think a lot of people, it's like, I, yeah. there's very few people overall that I've interacted with that are just like, I'm completely done with believing in God. There are some, and there's some argumentative people that we've experienced on all fronts of that. But mm-hmm. in general, it doesn't seem like people are saying like, I don't believe in God. It's more of like, I don't know if how I feel about the general structure of church that I've been in. Like even for me, like I've never really felt um, that denominations were biblical or, you know, what it was intended to be. I have, I have a lot of frustration around that. I, I call myself generally undenominational, um, but I also generally now, especially I don't identify with the, the current view of evangelical Christian, especially in the United States. I don't align with a lot of that. Um, which is an interesting thing to say as somebody who's an ordained missionary, who it, it should generally be evangelical in nature. Um, but I've had great conversations with people within my missions organization, and I'm not the only one that feels that way. Um, it, 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 a lot of movement happening in having a, a healthy relationship with that, um, that I really, really appreciate quite a bit. And so it's like, I don't, I don't think that I need to spend my entire life um, every waking moment preaching the gospel to, to save people. Um, but that's, I think that's part of where the struggle is. It's like, that's for the people that they've only ever grown up in that. And that's all they, they're like, Oh, this is right. This is 100% right. They're, they're, they're seeing it as a d- direct attack and like, that's not the case overall. And that's not like, that's what's heartwarming uh, with 
with him, with Reverend Marcus is like, he's like, Hey, most of this isn't real, but like these people, they need something and I can, I can provide a service for them. Um, and, and the relationship with that now <laughs> faking exorcisms gets kind of questionable. <laughs> like how far do you go with that? Yeah. But he's, he, he sees the, the benefit of it. And, but he's also come to the end of his rope. Like the whole point of this movie is they're doing a documentary and he's basically exposing the fraud that he is. He's saying, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm not doing that anymore. Um, and I believe that there's a mention. I'm trying to remember. Does he say at one point, like, uh, he, does he mention like just being able to go to church, like just being there, like being a part of the, the, like, um, I don't think, I don't remember that. He doesn't say it like that, but it's kind of like alluded to of like, I'd like to just be able to just walk into the building and like not have to worry about anything, which is a part of what a lot of people do. Now there's, there's a whole conversation around what is the church and what does the church do with Mm -hmm. all that. But I understand what he's saying of like, man, when, when you're in ministry and you're doing those things, like it would be nice to just kind of not do that. (laughs) Well, he said, he does say at one point um, that he used to want a television show, like a television ministry. And he says, now all I really want is health insurance. (laughs) And like that, that's a really resonant moment, I think, because, um, it, it just feels like, like you said, a lot of people in ministry, you know, it starts out as like a passionate thing and you have all like the energy for it. But after a while, you start to get worn down. And I think uh, he's worn down for uh, reasons other than just the typical reasons. But he he does kind of want to just like be a dad and be a regular guy. And um, I love that he's so honest with his family about his beliefs. Like even his his kid knows that he doesn't really believe in exorcism, like, but this is his job because he's trying to help people. Um, that to me was really sweet. That whole first like five to 10 minutes where we get to like watch him and meet his family and go to his church. Like that's my favorite part of the whole movie. I think that's what really sucked me in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of that, because he's honest, because he's likable, um, we just, we really want to follow him on this journey. And of course, you know, he, He's been doing this um, as a service to like make people better. And, but he has this turning point when he reads the article about, you know, people like there was a kid, his son's age who died during an exorcism. They like Mm -hmm. suffocated him accidentally during an exorcism. And so he realizes like, Oh, I can't be a part of this anymore. Like it's been fine up into a point, but like, I can't be involved in the system. Um, Which is, which is what leads us to, where we are. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to point out about his character before we move on? Um, so I had a couple questions about okay. not, not his character overall. Um, first of all, I think one of the biggest things is like that article pokes a hole in his faith overall. He was already like, he, he, I don't, I, it feels like he was okay with the fraud. Like, you know, like he, like he didn't, he didn't come to terms with that until that article and it's like once you poke a hole in that in, in the thing, like it's hard to to plug it, <laughs> and mm-hmm. that and that just kind of led him down the journey. Um, but I was kind of wondering because he at the beginning he's with his dad who was also an exorcist, mm-hmm. and it's I believe he says that his grandpa was also an exorcist. So yeah, it's a, a so. multi generational thing. And I was like in my head, I was like, are they like were they did they believe that they were exorcists? Like it, it, it is it a multi generational um, con for yeah. lack of a better term. Well, and the bigger question too is like, does his 
his immediate family knows where he stands. Does his dad know? It doesn't seem like his dad knows. That he doesn't believe anymore. Yeah, I kind of don't think so either. So it seems like his dad probably believes that everything. And mm-hmm. they, I mean, that they talk about the book that they have at the beginning. It's, that's very much a Catholic book. Um, I also, one of the other questions I had was, because of the specific nature of the the demon of like, it attaches to like the, the this, like, what is he, how does he say it? Like he read it earlier, like, it's like oh, the gentle uh, the, let's see. It corrupts the innocent. A corruption. That seems like he probably says that that's the demon that comes all the time. Yeah. It makes me wonder too. Yeah. Does he always say it's the same demon or does he just like flip the book and be like, it's this one defiles the innocent. That's yeah. the specific um, phrase. Yeah. It, it, Cause I was just kind of wondering, it's like, this is the same, same show over and over again, but like the, the whole thing is that he he has come to terms with the fact that he can't keep doing that, and um, and so they're they're on this journey to do it. And, it, and so I was trying to think that those those were the two main questions I had overall. The other other ideas and thoughts might come up as we were talking through everything. Yeah, um, let's see. There were a few like little, just little things I wanted to mention just like little religious symbols and stuff thrown in here and there. Um, like I already mentioned, the style of his church is really spot on to the churches I grew up in. Not so much the way it looks, but just his delivery and the response from the crowd. I was like, that was very familiar. And then we would be remiss to not mention the banana bread sermon. Uh, that's, that's one of the best parts of the whole thing. Yes. So I'm not going to go into all the detail about the banana bread sermon. I mean, you've seen this movie, right, folks, if you're listening to this. So you know about the banana bread sermon. But um, I will post the clip on my social media. But I just, I mean, I was really, if I wasn't hooked before, once we got to that part, I was like, amen. This is so good. (laughs) The really interesting thing about that is, and and I think it's, it's because it's laid out up front, it's helpful. Like that whole thing, that showman style overall um, is what bothered me even as a kid around the church. Because like most of my church interaction would have been seeing like televangelists on TV um, and stuff like that and being like, these guys are absolutely ridiculous. Like this is not this doesn't seem real at all. I don't believe any of this. And I don't think that they do either. And he's like very much like like clear with his family. Like I, I don't believe <laughs> like this. But there's so many people in ministry spots and ministry ministry jobs that they they are this way they're just putting on a show in general um and they're they're doing it for the paycheck um some of them have benefits others don't it's actually like that that's such a a very real piece Uh, if you haven't interacted with people that are doing real like full-on ministry like it's not a very it's really for the most part, it's not a lucrative thing. People generally think that it's, you know, tech dodging and, and all of this stuff and money's just piling in. And like, to, quite honestly, I've never been fully funded in my, as my, as a support raised missionary. <laughs> mega, mega church is one thing, but most people in ministry are not in mega churches. It's, it's, you know, your local small church and yeah, they don't, they don't make a lot of money. They don't have any benefits. Like it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, it's not the most rewarding career. We'll put it that way. Um, let's see what I was going to respond to something else you said, and I forgot what it was. Um, I'm going to keep going down through my notes here. Um, so, oh, okay. So when he's reading the book to Lewis about the demon, he is like, it's in Latin. And so he's like reading it in Latin and 
Lewis, of course, doesn't understand Latin. He's like, oh, you don't understand Latin? Oh, well, it means this. And I was like, oh, that's kind of like, you know, back in the day, the Catholic Church, like people couldn't read the Bible because it wasn't in English. And so the Catholic Church had to just tell them what it said and they had to believe it. Um, So I thought that was an interesting little nod. Um, And then also the acting in this movie is very good. And Patrick Fabian as Cotton Marcus is very good. But when he is actually like doing the exorcism and when he's like doing his little sermon, he's actually kind of a terrible actor. Um, Like all that stuff just feels so fake. And I remember thinking like, I'm so surprised that anyone would even be fooled by this. Kind of like you said, how when you watch Televangelist, it's kind of like, this is just not resonating. This doesn't feel real at all. Um, So that I felt, I was like, I don't know if this is just Patrick Fabian isn't familiar. And so he doesn't like kind of know what to do. Or is he actually like brilliant and he's like bad acting pastor on purpose? I feel like he knows exactly what he's doing and he knows he doesn't have to put much effort into it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially at this point, he because he's very much come to terms with the fact that he doesn't need to do that anymore. Like he just wants to wants out. But he I, I think because he even at one point, like in the church thing, he says like that they're, the people are there for their experience. Like it's like, he doesn't have to do all he's got to do is, is whip them up just a little bit and they're, they're going to take over from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that leads directly into the, the banana bread sermon. <laughs> um, and so he, I mean, he even jokes about it. He's like, I don't have to do a whole lot. And I think it's just, he, he's like, he's just not putting a whole, he didn't have to put a whole lot of effort into it. I imagine when he was younger, he probably did put more effort into it, but he, he doesn't have to, like, he's, yeah. he's just it's like, it's good enough. Like he like, crappy effort on his part is good enough to to accomplish what he's trying to accomplish. And like any other job, like the longer you do it, the more comfortable you get with it, you know? So he can, he can go up there and he can just turn it on at any moment. Um, But I would argue though, that Reverend Marcus is actually, I think a good pastor. I think there's like, there's like good seeds there for him to be a good pastor. If he can sort out his, uh, you know, he can sort out his belief issues because um, he does a couple of things that are really like on point. Um, like whenever, so Caleb, Lewis's son, Nell's brother, mentions that Lewis drinks a lot. And so before Lewis leaves, after the first exorcism, the first fake exorcism, when he, be- you know, everybody believes Nell's been delivered. Um, before he leaves, he goes to Lewis and he he's acting like he's hearing from God. And he tells Lewis, like, don't put your feelings in the bottle. Don't take don't drink from the bottle. Basically telling Lewis through God, quote unquote, you need to stop drinking. So he's actually really good, I think, with people and like knowing what to say to people and what to do with people. And even the way he talks to the film crew and everything is he's he definitely knows how to read people. Um, and seems to genuinely care about people. So I would argue that he could be a good pastor. Well, and, and I think that's a, a major thing is like he wants to do good. He wants to help people. Um, it seems like in general, like, so I've been in a lot of, well, not a lot. I've been in some very spiritual spaces overall. And it seems like um, having a healthy skepticism around things and questioning things and those spaces is very much allowed. Like I, I'll just say like one of the spaces I've been is, is, is operating in prophetic stuff overall. And the person that leads that he's like, question everything, 
Like, and like, that doesn't like, if you're in a space, a church space where that's not allowed, that's really more of a cult than anything else, not a healthy space. And like, um, there is a respect that can be had. Um, and it seems like generally he respects a lot of the, the, the general stuff overall. He just doesn't believe in, in, in some of the, the more basic things overall, but, um, he, he's good at reading people. And it seems like a lot of the, the a lot of the people that are in it, they are good at that. And, and you have to be careful. Like actually there, there should be some guardrails kind of in place as far as leadership goes, because um, like you can, they can get really, really manipulative really easily without even realizing it, even when they're not trying to. And he, it seems like he's trying to, to do good, even in, in a situation where like, there's not much that he can do. He's really good at picking up context clues and, and reading things and reading people and everything like that. And that's, he, he's definitely not, he's, he's aware that it's not a spiritual thing, but there are people that operating that think that they're operating spiritually when they're really just, you know, good at seeing, oh, the, the, the few different, like, oh, I saw a couple bottles sitting around, like this person might, might have a drinking problem. Maybe I need to talk to them about it type of thing. And, he, and he's just trying to help, I think. Oh, I just remembered what the thing was I wanted to respond to. So um, again, you, you were talking about how you like kind of never really liked the way certain things are presented at church. So do you remember Pastor Casey? 100%. <laughs> because uh, Reverend Marcus reminds me a little bit of him. So oh, yeah. again, when David first came to visit me, um, the church that I went to at the time was it's just your typical modern day church. Like I'm pretty sure they were non-denominational. I will not name them as we live in that area again, but... Um, they're still around. They're still around. I don't know and, if he's still a pastor. I assume he is. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why he wouldn't be. Yeah. I don't, cause he was, he was young. <laughs> he was but, very successful. <laughs> yeah. He was young. He was char- charismatic. Like he kind of looked like Reverend Marcus a little bit. He was from Louisiana. Yeah. So when we were watching this, this time I was like, Hmm, I wonder if David remembers pastor Casey. Cause we left, we left church and David was like, I don't like him. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't didn't. I think I went back one more time and that was it. Yeah, like if, you, if that had been the only church that we were going to, like I, I wouldn't yeah. have gone back. That, that church was fine. And like there were a lot of young people and stuff. And of course, before I met you, like right before I met you, I mean, I was single and I was trying to make friends. I was new to the area. So like it was fine for like community. Um, I don't know that I would have lasted there for very long. Um, but fortunately after that, um, pretty much every, well, yeah, every church we've gone to since then, we've had really good pastors, um, that we can, we can trust and that are genuine and that we, uh, didn't have to have those feelings about, which is great. They're out there folks. Um, so let's move on and talk about what do you think are the scariest and otherwise most memorable moments about this movie? Cause we haven't really talked about anything except for Reverend Marcus. Yeah. I mean, it, it revolves around him. Um, for the, so it's, it's not surprising that that's the bulk of the conversation so far. Um, I will be honest with you there. I th- watching it this last time when we watched it, I wasn't, there wasn't anything, there were a lot of super scary moments to me. And it's probably because I anticipated them because I, I I'm familiar with it. Um, I, what the I think the most eerie stuff is like the uh, it's <laughs> it's like uh, in the office whenever like they have the people looking at the camera and stuff like that like the, those seem like it's the not, not the main story that's happening it's like what's happening off to the side is the creepiest thing because like the the brother 
is like constantly staring at the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, if you're not watching, like that, that's, it's just eerie. And it's like, you don't know what's going on until the end. On that actor, Caleb Landry Jones, he, he's just a creepy dude, just in general. So perfect casting there. Um, there are a few things that I thought were pretty scary. Um, whenever, well, when Nell first shows up at the motel. Yeah, that was creepy. And we see her through the window and then she like, she's like trying to take her clothes off and she like vomits. Like all of that is very unsettling. And like, there's a little bit of like weird music in the background. Um, especially since we think everything is fine. So it's like, what's happening. And then the moment where, and I think this is kind of like the moment from the movie when they're looking for her and they can't find her and she's up on top of her armoire. Yeah. That's like very creepy. That's very creepy. And she is also fantastic. Um, her name's Ashley Bell and she's so good at being very sweet and like believably innocent, like believably naive, not in like a saccharine way, but in a way where you really feel for her. And then she's also capable of being possessed and being super creepy. So yeah. I thought she just did a great job. She's very eerie when she, and all that. And it, so that brings up a really big question. This is one of the things I have overall is like, when is she possessed? <laughs> well, that's, a, I think that's a, that's a larger question um, about whether or not she is actually possessed but let's let's hold that for a minute let's hold that until we talk about the ending okay you wanted to i got a whole section about the ending that i and so let's let's circle back no it's fine let's circle back and talk about that but um while we're talking about nell another moment that i think is really really sweet is when she comments on iris's boots and iris gives her her boots like that's just such a sweet little moment. Like whoever, I don't know if it was the writer or the director, but whoever put that in there, that's one of those things that like on paper, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't move the plot forward, but it's just like, it tells you a lot about both Iris and about Nell. And so I just, I love that little moment. And then her look with that white dress and then those big chunky boots through the rest of the movie, it's just a great look. So like, I don't know if that was just the bridge to get her into this look or not, but I love that moment. Well, I I wonder if part of it is because there's a point where she's chained to the bed. And if she doesn't have those boots on, like, I, I, I was I was wondering if that's the, might be like our, a practical choice. Might be a practical choice because like, hey, we have to have something on her, but she doesn't really like have shoes on. Um, one of the things that I thought I, I noticed this time around that conversation is so uh, she the what's her name the woman that gives her the shoes, Iris. Iris. So if you pay attention whenever she's running up the stairs at the hotel, whenever Nell shows up, mm-hmm. uh, she's wearing her different shoes. Oh, okay. So she mentions, I have another pair of shoes. And so like they show that they, they make a point to show those shoes as she's going shoes. up the stairs. And it's like, Oh, that's kind of a fun thing of like, she wasn't just saying that like she legitimately, like she's like, I like, I have to give these. And that's just kind of like the giving nature. I, I found a, I thought that was kind of a, a general spiritual moment. I feel like there's little spiritual moments tucked into all of this stuff of like people actually making the choices that would be like, the Christian choices of things overall, whether or not they're Christian. So yeah. we don't know anything about their beliefs overall. They're, they're doing a documentary on a guy who's a fraud. Of mm-hmm. a, it's just like, that's like a nice little touch. I thought. Yeah. There is a lot of like all of the little inner workings and in the relationships in this movie are pretty good, which I think is another reason why it's so effective. Um, even though it's just like, just, just found footage movies, just an exorcism movie. Like we've seen it a million times, but I think those little, the characters and, the actors and these little moments 
of them together are really what make the difference. Interestingly enough, I did not think of that movie as a found footage movie until this last time we watched it. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's definitely a found footage movie. And it's, um, there, there are some people who have like some issues with the way it's put together and stuff because of that. I'm like, listen, when it comes to found footage movies, you sort of have to just like, let that go. You can't think about why are they still filming? Like we're sort of past that now. (laughs) You got to just be along for the ride. But um, one of the, well, there were two things I wanted to talk about, um, about kind of the middle of this movie. So I think it's really interesting that of course, like once the exorcism has happened and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. Well, now Everybody, the film crew and Reverend Marcus are all like, okay, well, we have to get her like legitimate help. And Lewis is very resistant to that. And there's this idea of, you know, Reverend Marcus brought this idea into their home, which Lewis already believed that she was possessed, but Reverend Marcus validated it and elevated it. He's the one that's like, here's the book. Here's the demon. This is what's going to happen to your daughter. If we don't exercise her, she's she's doomed she's damned and so when that's really set up a dangerous situation now because when everybody's trying to be rational and say oh we need to like get her psychological help she's pregnant we need to get her to the hospital we need to take care of her lewis is super resistant to it he would have been resistant to it anyway but really reverend marcus has come in here and he has good intentions but he has done damage he has made the situation worse which works in the movie, but also it's another, to me, it's another kind of like religious pivot point and that you have to be careful in what you teach people and what you say to people and what you feed people because it may come back to haunt you mm-hmm. in, in a different way. So now, I mean, they're in this really scary situation, not just because Nell might actually be possessed, but because now they have to deal with Lewis and he's chasing them with a shotgun and he's like, you have to leave my property. I'm going to kill you. And they are worried about her. So that was one thing that I noticed this time that I hadn't noticed before. And then um, another thing I wanted to talk about before we roll into the ending is um, the moment, but it's before the, um, before the barn, when he agrees to do a second exorcism. And I think it's Iris is like, what is a second exorcism like possibly going to accomplish? And we get this little scene of him like praying out in the rain and he's praying for real. Mm -hmm. And because in this moment, because of what he's seen a little bit, there's like a glimmer of his belief is back. And so I believe he's praying for real. Well, it's the, he's confronted with the, the general thing of like most of the other ones that he's done, or I would say all of the other ones that he's done aren't real. Like they're not really possessed. Mm-hmm. And so he's now he's being confronted with like, there might actually be something going on here that uh, <laughs> this might be the real thing. And he's, he has to, um, he's the, the, the pastor in this situation. And he has to kind of come to come to terms with whether or not he can do that. And that feels like kind of what he's, like, he's starting at that point of like, it's this journey of like, am I, can I even do this? And like, like I can, or, or accepting that I can't do this on my own type of thing. Right. Yeah. Because regardless of the situation, like, yeah, they're now in a precarious spot where things could go really wrong in a lot of different ways. Um, so anyway, I just, I think that's a beautiful moment. Okay. Is there anything else you want to address before we roll into the ending here? Um, no, I think most everything will probably come up in the ending. Okay. Overall. So 
we get to the ending and we find out that the church, Pastor Manley's church, is actually a cult. And all these things we've been hearing, I think it's so genius that like, oh, guess what? So we thought Lewis was unhinged and he was actually kind of right all along. Like he was right to want to take his children out of that church, even if he he had just he had bad vibes about it. Now, his bad vibes were a little bit fundamentalist, but he turned out to be right about not letting his kids go to this group. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the whole thing is kind of, they, they paint him as a country bumpkin mm-hmm. and it's like, actually at the end, it's like, Oh no, actually he was right. <laughs> he was very right about that. Like there's yeah. definitely other things going on, but he, could he was right about that. wasn't right there. Yeah. So I, I, I really liked that a lot. Um, you know, for me, all the supernatural stuff though is like a no go. Like I love that what we think of as the normal church turns out to be the culprit who's actually spreading the disease and like hurting the children and brainwashing people. Like I love that metaphor that that what looks normal is actually nefarious. Love that. But I don't like that we watch Nell give birth to an actual weird looking thing that we can see as an audience is not just a human baby. And then when they throw it into the fire, we get the noise and we get like just for a second, like the silhouette of basically the demon we saw in the book. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, I'm not a fan of that because we've watched Reverend Marcus go on this journey to unravel all of this just craziness and find a true faith. And this sort of negates all of that. Like, this is basically like, nope, the devil is real. Possession is real. Cults are real. Nell was really possessed. She really has a demon baby. It's all real. And it's just like, but what about all the nuance and his journey and all that stuff? So, um, but I don't think, to be fair, the filmmakers, I don't think we're thinking about all of that. I think they just wanted to make a big ending. So I like the broad strokes of the ending. I just, I would have preferred, I wouldn't even have cared if we would have like seen it through the character's eyes and they were making comments about things, maybe being crazy. So we could say, oh, maybe they saw something, maybe they didn't. Um, but I didn't like personally that the audience saw the weird baby and like the demon in the fire. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot, it, it I think we talked about it, right? Like generally, after, after we watched it, it was like, all of that was so weird. And it kind of felt like maybe those were like uh, produ- production company notes or something like that, that they changed the end. And they're like, listen, we have all this. It's like, we have to tie it all up in this nice, neat bow where we've talked about this demon. And it's going to be the same demon that we see there and, and all that. Um, now, the other side of all of that is if it's working in a spiritual space that maybe God was laying the groundwork for this experience preparing cotton for the, the whole thing. You, they, they, that could be kind of the direction. Now, mm-hmm. now, now the demon baby thing thrown <laughs> into the fire, like that's yeah. like, I don't know if that, that was necessary. Like there's, there's a lot of things that they could have done differently with it. Yeah. Um, for me, it's one too many waffles. Cause like there's the beginning. It's like, Oh, exorcism isn't real. Oh, she might be possessed. Oh, she's not possessed. Oh, she is possessed. Like it's like the third time we've been presented with the fact that it might be real. And I think that's one time too many, but also to go back to what you were saying about was she actually possessed? Like, I think that's a, that's something for discussion because was she, wasn't she like now that we know the cult is real. It, it was, it felt like at the end, they were like, we have to make her, we have to make her possessed. You know, there, there has to be. And so the baby th- thing was weird. It gets into like when she goes to the hotel 
she's like taking her clothes off and throwing up and all of that stuff. Like, but then later on in, in like, it's like, is she possessed there? Because that seems like very possessed things. And then you get into like when they're in the barn and like, she's like arching her back and she's breaking her fingers and everything like mm-hmm. that. Like, it's like, is she possessed there or is she not possessed there? Because then like immediately is like the whole blowing job thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, uh, is she possessed on other times and she's not possessed there? Is she like, <laughs> like, is she possessed the whole time? She's been possessed the whole time and she's just acting because like demons can do that. And, and so like, it, it, that, like what, it, what is, what is happening? It was, was really, really confusing about yeah. what was actually happening there. Well, and I think if there was no supernatural element at the end, if it was just this church is doing this thing, I think it would be easy to say, no, she wasn't possessed because basically after the whole blowing job incident, they basically say that, oh, well, she just has like guilt and trauma because she had sex. And so she feels guilty about it. And all of these symptoms and all this behavior has like manifested from her own guilt and her own trauma and probably from losing her mom too. Like, it's basically like she's just been through so much that this is psychologically, this is how she's exhibiting it. So like, I was willing to believe that. Um, because she doesn't do anything that's like so unbelievable. Like she doesn't levitate off her bed or anything. Like everything she does, a person could probably do. Um, now getting up on the armoire, it's a little, that one's a little bit uh, iffy. Um, so I, I kind of err on the side of maybe she wasn't actually possessed ever. Um, but I think there's probably evidence to the contrary as well. And also, was I'm, I'm maybe like, maybe because she was impregnated by a demon baby. Well, yeah, maybe. I'm like, and that's another thing too. If this cult had like just a human, like maybe Pastor Manley, had impregnated her with just a baby as part of this like cult ritual, that would make sense. But because we see it and it's not human then it muddies the waters and I don't understand exactly what's happening. So, and and like clearly demons don't need nine months to, to, you know, come to, come to term overall. Like it's like we find out that she's pregnant and then like the next night she's having a demon baby. Yeah. It's all very fast, which I guess if she was just having a human baby, then that would be difficult for them. You know what? You could have figured it out. (laughs) Yeah. Logistically, you could have figured it out. Well, Um, and and, and part of it too is because the brother's deeply involved in the cult. Yes. And so like, it could be that, um, they could, they could be like control happening there. Like he may be involved in it overall. Um, and that he, like whenever, um, things start ramping up that they accelerate something like that. I don't know. It's just, on at face value, it was all rather confusing. Yeah. And I'm not, I know that like the intention is not for us to sit here and like analyze every little tiny mechanic of it, but because of, like I said, the earlier themes in the movie, it just, it's, it doesn't mesh for me. Um, it almost feels like they were like, people aren't going to care. Like the story is about the Reverend. It's not <laughs> about th- this other thing, but we need it, but we need a big, big end to tie it all together and everything. And so, yeah. Now I do, um, I do really appreciate like him being willing to like sacrifice himself to oh, yeah. confront this evil, like totally like that again. That's great. I mean, I hate that he died, but I, that's one of the things I absolutely love about the movie is, um, that's generally like sacrificial, like love, mm-hmm. um, it, of like somebody who's come, like who has, uh, realized the, the true nature of faith and is like, 
I got to do something. Like I can't just not do anything. Like he, mm-hmm. like he, he felt an obligation at a certain point to take care of her because he, like you said, he disrupted the nature of you know the how things were. And then he gets confronted with like he has to choose whether or not like like he's being confronted with real like spiritual things, a, a very real spiritual thing, and he has to like he can't not believe that anymore. Like he's he's face to face with the very real thing, and I absolutely love that. Yeah, I I made a note that I. Don't mind that he sacrificed himself, but I wish he would have done it on the power of his own belief, not because of something he saw with his eyes. Um, because that is a big in the Pentecostal and like charismatic movement. It's all about signs and wonders and big things and flashy things. It's always about big, noisy, loud things. And since again, since he's on this journey to kind of sort out his faith, I would have just loved it if there would have been like a quiet moment where he has to do make a, make his own decision based on a leap of faith, not based on, ah, there's a demon in front of me. You know, like mm-hmm. that to me would have been um, more resonant. Doesn't he have his like rigged up uh, crucifix? Yes, because that's like the only cross, the only he, cross has. he has. <laughs> so I do love that, that he has this big, ridiculous prop cross, which we didn't mention this, but... Um, when they're intercutting like the actual exorcism in her bedroom with like him doing the behind the scenes stuff of how it all works. Mm, love that. So great. Um, okay. Do you have any, um, any other things you want to discuss before we wrap this sucker up with final thoughts? Uh, no, I think we pretty much covered a lot of my general thoughts on things. Um, can't think of anything else right away. Um, okay. So yeah, I think we've, we've covered a lot of what I wanted to talk about. Okay. Well, uh, okay. Well then what are, what, what are your final thoughts? What's your final recap of the last exorcism? Um, I, it's like I said, I don't know how much I would consider it a horror movie. It definitely has horror themes to it. It, in the found footage thing kind of leans more towards, it tends to be more horror based. I, I think it is more of a religious movie. Um, a more dramatic movie overall with some, some horror themes to it. It's not one to shy away from. I don't think, I think it's, a, it's an enjoyable movie regardless of the editing choices and different things like that. We could nitpick that. Um, but we're not, we're not critics here overall. So I found it to be an enjoyable movie. And I think it's, it, the, it's in a, a vein of movies that I, I, whenever I experience them, I always tend to like them of like being, tested with real faith type of thing, which is, I'm not, I don't, we don't go around watching a whole lot, whole lot of Christian stuff overall, but I, like when, yeah. <laughs> so when it's presented, um, I, I like it. it. It's, I think it's an interesting piece and it's, uh, a, it can be a real helpful, uh, journey for people too. Would you, uh, would you recommend this movie to other Christians, other church folks? Um, I'd have to know a little bit about them first. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have, I know some people that um, actually have some people that are real supportive of all of this stuff with you that are also like, I can't handle the themes overall. It's not, it's not like whether or not they believe in it or not, but like, it's just like, it's, it's overwhelming for them. And so I, I'd have to know a little bit, but I, w- I would actually think it'd be a great thing, especially if, if people knew um, like the, the faith journey thing happening in like being confronted with real evil and having to accept if there's real evil, then there has to be real um, good mm-hmm. and then choosing to be the good and all of that. Um, so for me, I uh, clearly, I love this movie. Um, the cast is wonderful and very believable. 
Um, one of the things we didn't mention that I also love is I really like the spooky, like sparse music throughout, which you usually don't get in found footage, but it doesn't bother me here because I think it adds a lot of atmosphere. Um, also, we briefly mentioned the Louisiana setting, which is really subtle, but adds another like eerie layer to this movie. Just like the vibes. It's well, all great. And they even make a point when uh, they're going across that bridge. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, it's like creaky and yeah. like they're, they're making sure to know that, you know, that they're going into like deep Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like it's a true detective vibes for sure. Yeah. Along that. Um, of course I love Reverend Marcus. Um, his character is just fantastic. Oh, also on another note, his name is Cotton Marcus. And uh, I always said that if we ever had a child, a boy, I wanted to name him Cotton. I really love that name. Um, But of course, he's believable. He's sympathetic. His honesty is really refreshing. And um, it's just easy to follow him on this journey. And I think it makes uh, some of the crazier parts of this journey easier to follow because we just we really like watching him. Um, As we mentioned, the story gets a little bit jumbled at times. But overall, I think the story carries the themes really well. And as I said, I'm not a fan of the very specific supernatural elements um, in the ending, but the the bigger, the larger themes about wrestling with faith and finding belief um, and all of that is just, it's spot on. Um, and this movie came into my life at a time when I think I didn't even really realize that I needed it. So it's a movie that I have enjoyed from the start. And I think my appreciation for it has only grown with time and probably, and this might be a little bit controversial to say, but I think it is my favorite exorcism movie. The fact that you have a list of exorcism movies and you can have a favorite one, that's that's a red flag. I mean, listen, my people out there probably all have a list and have a favorite exorcism movie. Well, that's a, a bold strategy, Cotton. <laughs> Oh, so David, you might not have a lot to say here, but um, do you have any recommendations for other media people should check out if they like this movie? (sighs) Well, so I don't have any horror movie recommendations around this, but uh, talking about that general like um, faith experience type of movie that I like, uh, there's only one other movie that came to mind that it, it really hits that. And I can't really talk about it a whole lot because it'll give away some of the stuff. But, uh, in the 90s, the movie Leap of Faith came out. Yes. And it's Steve Martin at Steve Martin's best overall. Um, and so it's along the same lines. There's there's definitely that same theme is present there. And I have always loved that movie, even before I understood what was going on. Like when seeing it as a kid, it's like I remember watching it on HBO because I played it all the time on HBO. Yeah. Uh, but then watching it as an adult is like, oh, like I didn't even realize that, but I, and that's like, there, there's a whole nother layer to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's another one of those generally like uh, being faced with real moment of like, you have to choose if you believe or not kind of yeah. thing that I, 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 like I said, I just really and like it. Steve Martin, con man, Steve Martin, wearing like a disco jacket, televangelist, and then Liam Neeson, small town sheriff. Like what a great combo. Yeah. It's pre taken <laughs> Liam Neeson. Yeah. Um, where he was trying to be rom-com Liam Neeson. Yeah. Well, in that movie, we, me and my dad and uh, some of dad's like church buddies, this is when we were way into, like way all up into church. Um, We all went to see that movie together. And we, I remember my dad and his friends were kind of like, oh, is this going to be like offensive or like, and they loved it. Um, But it was very much like there's, there's like gospel singing and tent revivals and all that felt very familiar to us at the time. So that, that's always been like a, 
It's always been a great family favorite. Movie. And his name is? Jonas Nightingale. <laughs> what a great name. Such a great name. That's probably yeah. not his real name. That's a stage name. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that, yeah, his real name gets called out. Like, because, you know, anyway, we're not going to go down that road. But um, anything else? That's it, right? Uh, no, that's about the only recommendation I have. Okay. Um, you know, I sort of struggled to pick recommendations, but I have a few. Um, so the first one is Midnight Mass, which you all know, love, love, love that show. Um, it's, it's not exorcism, but it is very much about finding faith, struggling with faith, different faiths, people on different journeys. It's probably my favorite piece of religious horror content to this point. Um, the Exorcism of Emily Rose, which is actually directed by Scott Derrickson. Um, that is a great exorcism movie um, because kind of like this one, it presents a girl who is quote unquote demon possessed and it shows everything from a spiritual side and a practical side because they she has epilepsy. And so um, they're basically in a court of law and one side is like, oh, well, she's doing that because of her epilepsy. And the other side is saying she's doing that because she's possessed. And it's very, it's presented in a very balanced way. And so you kind of have to decide what you believe about this girl and why she was possessed and what the point was. That's a great one. Um, And then if you want to go down an evangelical rabbit hole, there are a couple documentaries you can watch. One is called Jesus Camp. And then it follows a group of kids that go to evangelical church camp and the craziness that ensues. Um, when I first watched Jesus camp, I was like, I was, I was real infuriated by it. Um, I was triggered, I guess you could say. And then the other one is a documentary called hell house. And if you were a church kid in the nineties or the two, maybe early two thousands, there might've been a hell house in your town and a hell house is a haunted house that's put on by a church. But it's not like zombies and witches and ghosts. It's like abortion scenes and suicide scenes and family violence. And so they show people making the wrong decision and then they show them being like dragged to hell and they depict hell. So it's very violent, very graphic. They're basically trying to scare people into salvation. At the end of the tour, you go into this room and this guy tries to get you to say the salvation prayer. I mean, it's a whole thing. So I remember going to a couple when I was a teenager and like the time I was fascinated because I loved horror. So to me, they were very scary. Um, and now they're kind of scary for different reasons. Um, and I don't know if, I don't know if churches still do these, but it's, it's wild. It's really wild. So hell house, not hell house LLC, which is also a great movie, but just the documentary hell house came out in the early two thousands. So that is it for me today. Uh, David doesn't really have any creative projects to plug, I don't think. Not, no. not for this scene. <laughs> no, but um, but babe, lover, David, thank you so much for coming on today and coming out of your comfort zone a little bit. Would it be helpful for people to know what I do? Um, we didn't really talk about that. Sure, we can talk about that if you want. So uh, we mentioned that I'm an ordained missionary. I am officially within my missions organization. I'm assigned to be the director of a nonprofit called RIFO and it's R-Y-F-O. And the main thing we have is a network of host homes for bands to stay in when they're out on the road for free. So I kind of interact with musicians and stuff like that. Um, At the same time, I'm kind of involved a little bit more locally 
uh, here in Northwest Arkansas with a couple of different nonprofits to kind of, I, because of my availability, I'm able to help them out and things like that. And so uh, mostly doing the hosting thing, I'm actually working on a big project right now that'll hopefully turn into launching an app to house all of that together. Um, I'm slowly rolling that out. It's been an interesting couple of years with COVID uh, and then the changing of, of how touring works and, and all of that stuff, so kind of navigating all of that stuff. Yeah. So if you're in a touring band and you guys need places to stay, check out RIFO. Um, our house is on the list. Um, if it's something you're interested in, check it out. And um, yeah, in general, like we found a lot of uh, a lot of people who are both um, on some kind of faith journey and are creatives. We kind of all have similar struggles. Um, so we found a really kind of beautiful community with people who are sort of in that that space with us. But anyhow, so next month is going to be The Exorcist with my good friend Nat, who has been on many times. And then the month after that is going to be The Conjuring. So between this and those two movies, we're doing our little mini series on exorcism. Um, and so we'll dive a little deeper into the history of exorcism and all those things next time. Um, also, Nat and I are going to do a mini episode on the new Exorcist movie, which is coming out not on the 13th anymore, thanks to Taylor Swift, but now on the 6th. So you're going to get two episodes in October. So watch The Exorcist, maybe read The Exorcist. And until next time, stay spooky. Me and the devil. Was walking side by side. Me and the devil were walking side by side. And I'm going to be my woman until I get satisfied. Catch a grey on birth and rough.